Amen. Please be seated. Church, we're really blessed to have Peter Francis coming to share God's Word with us. Let me invite you up, Peter. Um, Peter is the principal of Malian Theological College here in Brisbane. And I know many of you have been connected with uh, Malian College along the way. Um, in fact, put your hand up if at some point you've had some connection with Malian, done a bit of study there. Or a bit, look at all those hands. Peter, look at all those come hands. Come on, come on. Yeah, okay. And, and then for those who are going to enrol next semester, put up your hand. Uh, okay, this is good. Oh, there is a few enrolling. There you, there, you okay. there you go. Okay, there you go. Yep, I'm but we just it. want to say a big thank you to have both you and Wendy here. Lifetime of serving in ministry. I think yep. that song was saying, God's been faithful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's a real privilege to have you both sharing here with us. So church, can we make Peter and Wendy, if you're really welcome, as they come to share this Thanks, morning. mate. Bless you, mate. Appreciate that. Alrighty, um, look, thanks so much. And look, honestly, I absolutely love that song. And it's kind of been a bit of a theme song for Wendy and myself over the last little while. Uh, often when we get in the car and we begin to drive along, and I'll say to Wendy, put, put some music on for me, uh, because she's got all these songs on her phone. I don't actually know why they're not in mine, but anyway, they're on hers. And, and so she'll play it, and she'll very often deliberately hit that one. And it's, it's just such a powerful reminder that God is so good. And so faithful. You know, the Scriptures remind us that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. And that's the nature of the God that we serve. And, uh, and honestly, as we look back, and we're kind of getting a little bit older in the journey now, and there's hardly a single day goes by that we do not together give thanks to God for His goodness and His faithfulness. And I pray that you'll know something of the reality of that in your own journey. Well, today's Palm Sunday, and uh, all around the globe today, there'll be literally millions upon millions of Christians who will be celebrating Palm Sunday. Reflecting back on that Sunday before the cross, when Jesus made his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. An extraordinary occasion in which Jesus was thronged by probably thousands of people as he made his way into the city of Jerusalem. Now, for the last time, in fact, before he would go to the cross, suffer and die in my place, in your place. But I wonder if you can imagine what it must have been like to be part of that crowd. I mean, you know what it's like when you're part of a crowd? There's a buzz that takes place, isn't there? When you're with a whole group of people and everyone's getting very animated and excited. Were any of you at the, uh, at the footy match the other week between the Broncos and the Dolphins? Was there anyone? All right, I, I see that hand. One, two, um, three. Um, there's really... Four? Okay, there's need for some pastoral care in this church, all right. Um, I, I'm, I'm absolutely astounded. I would have loved to have been there. I, I get to a footy match maybe once a year, and on this particular occasion, I was doing the, the grandpa thing, and I was looking after one of my granddaughters who was going off to a youth group, and I had to go and pick her up. And so I, I'm sitting at home, and I'm watching this game on the TV, and and. I hope some of you at least watched it on the TV, you know. And, and, and my heart was in my stomach, you know. I'm thinking, come on, we just got to get it over the line here. And then I suddenly looked at my watch and I had to go and pick up my granddaughter. Ten minutes to go. And I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. No, 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 not yet. And so I jumped in the car and I turned on the radio and I turned it up as full bore as I could go as I'm driving uh, to pick up Montana from her youth group. And I'm thinking, I've, I've just got to go slow enough to, to, to see if they get over the line. And they did. And it was a really good feeling. But, you know, if you go to a footy match like that um, in person and you, you sit there amongst the crowd, you kind of get a sense that everyone is carrying a different story, hey? 
And so a lot of people will wear their story emblazoned upon whatever they're wearing, you know, back in their team. Um, but I sometimes sit there and I look at people and I think, you know, every one of you, you've got your own backstory. hey? There's stuff going on in your life that nobody else here necessarily even knows about. You've all got your own perspective and sometimes when you walk out of the footy match and uh, you can pick up people's perspective pretty quickly by the look on their face if their team won or lost, you know. Um, but everyone has their own backstory. And you know, the curious thing is that when we come to Luke's narration of the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he kind of does some really helpful stuff to remind us of the backstory, the perspectives that so many people would have brought to that occasion when all of the crowds were, in one sense, going wild. We often pick up the reading from chapter 19 and verse 28, and it says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And I always find it really interesting when I read something like that. It says, after Jesus had said this, and my mind immediately says, after what? What, what did he just say? And so you've got to go back a little bit into Luke chapter 19 to see what was going on. In fact, the backstory starts in chapter 19 and verse 1. Let me read it to you. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, as so many of them were. He wanted to see Jesus for who he was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. And you know how the story unfolds, hey? Here you've got Zacchaeus, he's just like a little bit of a short dude. Um, people generally don't like him because he's been ripping people off left, right and centre. He's a Jew, but he's been ripping off his own people for the sake of the Roman government. And so he scurries along and he finds a sycamore tree and he climbs up the sycamore tree to, to see if he can actually see this Jesus as he's coming by. And if you go to Jericho today, you'll probably find you'll have a tour guide. It'll say, and see that sycamore tree over there? That's the tree that Zacchaeus climbed. And I'm thinking, yeah, maybe not, you know. Uh, but, but he climbs up the tree, and you know how the story unfolds, don't you? That as Jesus comes by, he looks up into the tree, and he calls out to Zacchaeus. And he says, come on down, Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your place for lunch today. Don't, don't you just love it when people invite themselves around for lunch? You know, I mean, that's just, that's cool, all right. And so Jesus comes around and we're not given a lot of detail about what happens over lunch. Excepting to say that in Luke chapter 19, when we get to verse eight, this man Zacchaeus makes an extraordinary declaration of his faith. And he turns to Jesus and he says, look, I'm gonna give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, and the tax collectors were notorious for that, he says, I'll pay it back four times. Mate, he must have been pretty wealthy. But you see, what he was doing was that he was demonstrating his faith. This is not just a faith to be sung about, but this is a faith to be lived out. And he's demonstrating the fact that if he's gonna truly put his trust in God, then it touched every part of his life, even the things that he had. And so Jesus makes this extraordinary statement, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And now, what was Jesus trying to say? Well, the reality was that 
he was a son of Abraham by biological birth. He was a Jew. But you see, what Jesus was trying to point out was, though this man's not just a biological son of Abraham, he's a son of Abraham's faith. He knows the reality of what it is to to have bought into the very faith that Abraham expressed when it says in the Old Testament that Abraham simply believed God and this was counted to him as righteousness. And so Jesus says, this man is truly a son of Abraham. He knows what it is to truly have faith in God. And you see, the point is simply this. This man would never enter into the kingdom of God simply because of his biological heritage. Any more than any one of us will enter into the kingdom of God because of our biological heritage. And indeed, none of us will enter into the kingdom of God because of our family heritage. Because our family that we grew up in were Christians. Or that we went to church week after week after week as we're growing up. Or that we come in the doors here Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. That is not going to get you into the kingdom of God. Well, I think it's a jolly good idea if you do come in through the doors of the church. Because you'll probably begin to find out what it takes to get into the kingdom of God. But that's not enough. What is demanded is the reality of a personal, demonstrable faith in God. A faith that is more than just sung about but lived in which I surrender all that I am to God. And then Jesus went on to say, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus says, this is why I've come. Because you're lost. And I want to show you the way into the kingdom of God. And then it goes on to tell us that Jesus tells a parable. Now, you know throughout the Gospels that Jesus regularly tells parables. Um, Here is going to be the last one before he will go to the cross. And in chapter 19 and verse 11, it says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. This is what he said. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus, an amount of money. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to be our king. Verse 15 says, He was made king, however, and returned home. You think, what's the point of this kind of random story that Jesus is telling? Well, you know, as Jesus tells that parable, his listeners would have immediately drawn the connection. Because not too many years passed, in the year 4 BC, Herod Archelaus, who was the son of Herod the Great, had gone to Rome with the express purpose of being made king over Judea and Samaria. And a bunch of people in both Judea and Samaria had raised a petition to Rome to say, we do not want this man to be king over us. But he was made king in any case. And he returned. 
And as Jesus goes on to tell the parable, he tells the story of what happens to those who refused to accept this man as their king. And so then we get to verse 28. And it said, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, why does Jesus tell this parable? Why does Luke include this parable in this particular narrative of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem? You know, it seems to me in so many ways that what Jesus was doing was predicting the fact that in spite of all the enthusiasm that would come this very next Sunday as he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, there would be those within the crowd who did not want a bar of him. I like the fun and all the the festive excitement here, but he ain't going to be my Jesus. He ain't going to be my king. In fact, what we discover is that it's less than a week later when so many of those who had been part of this extraordinary triumphal procession coming into Jerusalem would stand in front of Pilate and they would call out to Pilate and say, we have no king but Caesar. In other words, this Jesus is not our king. And the truth is there are plenty enough people in our world today who are of that perspective. You can talk all you want about Jesus, but he ain't my king. You're not going to put that one on me. He is not going to be the boss over my life. But you know, as Luke narrates the story, it seems to me that he wants to give us a little bit of a window into the heart of others who are part of that triumphant procession. There's another group of people there who actually did want a king, but they wanted a king of their own design. A king, in a sense, who would be their champion. A a king who would push back on the imposition of Rome. You see, at this time, Judea had been under Roman dominance for a 100 years. They were hardly sick and tired of the Roman occupation and the endless taxes being paid to Rome. There were so many, I'm sure, that day who wanted a king who would restore the peace and prosperity of Judea. And so gladly they picked up on Psalm 118 and they shouted out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a psalm that they would have known, so many of them, from childhood. That kind of looked to the hope that one day there would be a return of a king like King David, a mighty military king who would drive out their enemies and secure their borders and give them peace and prosperity. But you know, I think it's just possible today that there are still so many who have a similar perspective on Jesus. They want Jesus to be the king of their own design. The king who will do for me what I want him to do. A king who will give me a a life of peace and prosperity. A king who will make my life just right. Who will bring all the pieces together and I can actually enjoy life as it was meant to be enjoyed. But sadly for so many of those, when, when troubles come, when the pressures come, when hardship comes, when sickness comes. There are so many of those 
who find that as they cry out to this Jesus that he doesn't seem to be doing what they think he ought to be doing for them. He's not somehow or other like their great genie in the sky who will just do for them what they want him to do so long as they get the words right. And in the end, they become disillusioned, didn't they? They're not prepared to follow this Jesus any longer. I don't know if some of you here today are like that. You've been disappointed in Jesus because he didn't turn up for you the way that you thought he ought to. But then there's a third group. And I think somehow rather in verse 38, we're given a little inkling into this. This is the group who really want to know peace. Listen to what it says in verse 38. They cry out, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. These are the people who want to know. They desperately, desperately want to know the reality of peace. Peace within their hearts and peace with God. They're just so sick and tired of the struggle of life. They're sick and tired of the endless combative nature of living and life just not coming together. And they desperately want peace. They have a sense of their own spiritual desperation. And maybe there's some of you here today, you know that. You know exactly what that feels like. You have a sense of inner spiritual desperation. But you know, as we read on, Jesus has some challenging words for these people. You, you desperately want to know peace. But Jesus says in verse 42, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. In your hearts, you desperately, you desperately want to know peace. But you haven't yet understood the enormous cost that is involved in securing your peace. This peace does not come cheaply. And indeed, within just a week, Jesus would demonstrate the price that would have to be paid to secure my peace and your peace. And that would be his own death upon a cross. But Jesus says to them, you, you, you don't yet know. You don't yet know what it's going to cost to get you that peace. And the problem is so many of us, we want peace, but we want it on the cheap. And we've got to recognize that there's an enormous cost that was paid so that you and I could actually discover the reality of that peace. Oh, look, folks, for so many there is a desperate search. Some will find that desperate search drives them to come on into a church like this. And maybe some of you, you've been coming for weeks and weeks, maybe months and months, and you're still kind of, you're thinking there's something going on here, but I'm not sure what it is. But I, I need it. I, I need this peace with God. Others will pursue all sorts of other avenues, different forms of spirituality, meditation, but all the while longing for a deep and enduring sense of inner peace. So where does the peace come from? Again, Jesus gives to us an important clue as he describes those who have not yet found peace with God. In verse 44, he basically says, look, you know what your problem is? You did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. 
Now, what does that actually mean? You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You know, the word that he uses there for the word time is an interesting word in the original uh, New Testament documents. It's the word kairos. Uh, there's another word which talks about the passage of time. That's chronos. That speaks about you know, the uh, tick, tick, tick of the clock, you know, the time's just passing by. But kairos is a different word that speaks about that significant moment that kind of changes everything in the journey. We sometimes talk about a kairos moment, that moment when suddenly everything changes, everything becomes clear. And he says to them, your problem is that you didn't recognise the moment of God's coming to you. You see, Jesus had come for this moment. In just under a week, he was going to go to the cross where he would suffer and die. As Peter, the apostle, would later write, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that people like me and you could be drawn near to God. You see, this was the moment. This was the moment that would forever change everything for those who would believe in him It changes absolutely everything. This is the moment of which the Old Testament prophet Isaiah had written about almost 700 years before, saying that he would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. And and the punishment that brings us peace was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we would be healed. You see, folks, the reality of that moment, as Jesus died upon the cross, that he bore all of my sin, all of your sin, all of it, all of it. He bore it in his own body upon the cross, the Apostle Peter tells us. But you see, the problem was the people at that point did not recognize the moment. Their perspective was distorted and they simply didn't get it. You know, I love the way the Apostle Paul, some years later, writing to the the Roman believers in Romans chapter five would say, at just the right time, this is the same word, kairos, at just the right moment, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But he goes on to say, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you get the power of the moment? He didn't wait till you and I were good enough till we scrubbed ourselves up well enough to present ourselves and say, look, I think I'm giving it a fairly good crack Okay, you're right, come on, he didn't do that. Even when we were powerless, even when we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. I want to ask you this morning, have you recognised the moment? Is there a sense that for some of you today, you are absolutely longing for peace 
within and peace with God. You are so tired of the endless struggle and battle and you know that things are fundamentally out of whack and you just want it to be right. And the Jesus who rode into Jerusalem that Sunday on the back of a colt is reaching out to you and saying, I want to be your king of peace. I really want to be your king of peace. He says, there's a price that'll need to be paid for you to know this peace. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for you, for your sin, so that you can actually know peace with God and peace within. Folks, I wonder how you view Jesus. Is he kind of this king that you hear people singing about in church and you think, yeah, yeah, good for you, good for you, but he ain't my king. Or or is there a sense for some of you, look, I I, I want this Jesus, but I I want him to be the kind of Jesus I want him to be. You know, so he's my... Heavenly Mr. Fix-It, he will, he will sort my life out real good for me. But if he doesn't come through, then I'm not going to continue in this journey. I've got to tell you, I remember a time at age 17 where I got to that point and I was set to chuck the whole thing out the window because for me, Jesus just wasn't coming through. And maybe some of you have found yourself in that space. Maybe some of you are gentle. Genuinely, desperately longing for, for peace within. But the truth is you've been looking in all the wrong places. And for all that you've searched for, it, you just can't actually get your hands on the stuff. Maybe for many of you already here today, you have known this Jesus to be your king of peace. But listen to me. This King Jesus, this King Jesus owes you and me nothing. Do you understand that? He doesn't owe you or me anything, but he's actually given us everything. He's given his very life for us. He's laid the whole lot on the line for us so that we who were once lost in our darkness and our confusion and our pain can be set free And we can know the reality of what it is to know true peace with God and peace within. How do you get it? How do you get it? I'll tell you how you get it. You get it by humbly surrendering yourself entirely to him who is the king of peace. The one who gave everything to you, you actually in response to him, surrender everything to him. And I'll tell you what, that is the moment that will change absolutely everything for your life, for now and for eternity, if you'll actually only come to it. And I want to say to you this morning, if you have not come to that place yet, please don't let today go by and, and, and sort of think, yeah, maybe I'll think about this again tomorrow. This is all too much for me. No, think about it now. And right now today, will you surrender your life to the King of Peace? recognising the price that he paid so that you could know true peace with God and peace with him. Oh, please, don't let let another Easter just sort of drift past you. 
But if you do know him as your king of peace, over this Easter period, just let your heart rejoice in all the goodness of God that keeps, keeps on running after you. Celebrate it. Give him praise and let your praise be a life of constant surrender of all that you are to him. And you'll know the reality of the peace of God that the Apostle Paul says passes all understanding. Man, we've got a great message, haven't we? It's a great message of life and hope and peace that can only be found in the Lord Jesus. Will you join me as we pray? Heavenly Lord, uh, we, are, we are astounded at your goodness, your grace and your love that, that even when we were sinners, even when in our hearts we were rebels towards God, even when we, we didn't want to have a bar of you, or even when we, we wanted to try and manipulate you to turn you into the God that we thought we deserved, Lord, you have loved us. And at just the right moment, you sent your son into this world who was prepared to humble himself, to become obedient even to the point of death, even the death of the cross, to die in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might actually bring us to God. And oh, dear God, today we long that we might know the reality of this King Jesus ruling and reigning over our lives. Lord, give us humility, the grace we pray to simply surrender all that we are to Him and to discover in Him the life, the joy, the hope, the peace that only Jesus can bring. Lord, You know us. We're not just faces in a crowd. We've each got our own backstory. We've each got our own perspective, but Lord, we pray that we will bow our story to your story and allow you to rule and reign over us, King Jesus, King of our peace. And it's in your own wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Peter, so much for sharing with us this morning. If, as Peter was sharing, you, you knew that was... One of those responses was you this morning. Maybe for you, it's that you've never come to that place of bowing your knee and saying, Lord Jesus, I realize that you are my king. Maybe you've been fighting against that, holding out, but this morning you say, I'm putting up the white flag. I'm surrendering. You are my king. Remember a writer who once wrote these words, said a lot of people want Jesus as a consultant rather than as a king, but he doesn't come that way. He comes as our king. He has paid the price that we can know peace with him. And you can find that by saying, Jesus, I bow my knee. There is coming a day where every person will bow their knee before the throne. Every knee, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, but the, the, the time is now, as Peter said. Now is the time for us to bow our knee willingly by our own volition to say, Jesus, I acknowledge you are king. We're going to sing a song as we conclude our service which speaks about who King Jesus is. And it really is a picture of us now worshipping Jesus as our King, joining with heaven. But I want to finish with these words from Revelation 7 which give us a picture, a glimpse into eternity and what it looks like as Jesus reigns on his throne. And amazingly, there are palm branches just like this Sunday in this story as well. Let me read and we're going to worship together. After this, I looked... 
And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne. What a day that's going to be. People from all over the world, every back. This is for everyone, this, this good news, for every person gathered together. We're going to be gathering before the throne and before the Lamb. In the picture, this revelation John saw, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches. There it is in their hands as they're worshipping, holding out the palm branches just as they did on that day as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And this time they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, our King who reigns. His kingdom is not like the kingdom of this world. It's a kingdom of light and love. He is our servant king who's given us everything. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Gave his very life for us. He's worthy. Will you stand with me now? Let's stand together as we come to worship. And let's not hold back. If today's the day for you to say, Lord Jesus, I'm surrendering to you. You can do that as we worship. And for others who know this truth, we're going to say, Jesus, we worship you. We worship you today. Our King of kings, Lord of lords, we honor you in this place. Let's sing and worship together.
King, the King of Heaven. this morning. You reign over, over all the circumstances of our lives, over our world, great God. Even when we look around and we think things may seem out of control, Lord, we look to you and we know that you're unfolding a plan, a perfect plan. Lord, that you are overall, that we can trust you, Lord. Even when we can't see the outcome, even when we can't make sense of everything around us, we can look to you, the King of Kings. And we know, Lord, that you are reigning. Lord, that you're going to come in all your power and all your glory. You're going to come. You're going to put everything right, Lord, that you're bringing your peace to our world. You're breaking in. Your kingdom is breaking in. Thank you for a touch of heaven here this morning, Lord. The reality of these truths, Lord. And we pray again as we've been praying all this beginning of this year, Lord. Your kingdom come, Lord, we pray. Come, King Jesus, come this Easter, we pray. Reign in our hearts. Reign in our lives. Reign in your church, reign in this community, this city, in your world, we pray. This is our prayer. Come, we pray. But we honour you, we worship you. Bless this week, we pray in a special way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Praise God. Please be seated. Can we just thank Peter for coming and sharing with us this morning as well? So good to have you here, brother. We really appreciate that. If you'd like prayer in some way, we'd love to pray for you. Bible gift packs. If you want to know more about what it means, to say yes to Jesus, our Connections Lounge up the back, tea and coffee as well. But God bless you. And don't forget, prayer and healing service today at 2.30 as well. God bless.